turning your Bibles with me. I know it'll probably be on the screen as well, but but I'm I'm old fashioned, so I like to look in the book. So it's going to be in Second Timothy today, chapter three. I know it is a familiar passage of scripture, but I want to kind of look at it in a little different light than maybe we have in the past. We're going to begin in verse one. It says, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more or rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. Now, I want to stop there because I know I see this on Facebook all the time, this scripture, and usually I'll hit like on it because it is definitely a description of the days we live in. There's no question about it. When you look at the words that the apostle uses to say this is what it's going to be like in the last days, this is how people are going to think. This is how people are going to live. This is how people are going to act. Then you read this brutal. Well, what other word can you use for someone walking into a, a building and just mowing people down that he had just been working with? That day has happened in Virginia Beach just a day or so ago. And that's really nothing even unusual anymore in our society. What else can you say? I, I read a, a story today that just blew my mind about a dad who had stolen his own son's identity and charged over $100,000 worth of charges on his son's credit card. And I thought, that is the craziest thing. How can you even be a dad and hurt your kid that way? I don't care what kind of shape you're in. How can we even think that way? And yet the Bible says in the last days, people will be without natural affection. When you read stories about a mother who has murdered her children or a father who has murdered his family, and you see these things becoming more and more prevalent every day. Abortion. Yes, I'm going to talk about it. When we are willing now to go all the way up to the day of birth and say it's okay to kill a child. How can, not only is that brutal, that's two of the descriptors. It's brutality and it's people without natural affection. How can a mom, how can a father, if the father's aware of the decision, how can they think, how can that even be possible? Because we're in the last days. The Bible says this will happen. Almost everything you see, you can almost trace down to a common root. People will do almost anything now for money. Anything. You've always heard the phrase, follow the money. If there's corruption or whatever, follow the money. Well, that's more true now than it ever has been. People are willing to do anything for money, and the Bible says people will be lovers of money. Is there respect anywhere in the land? Respect for anything? Anymore? I mean, now it's just like the traditional things that we used to just be a given in our country. And especially in our churches. Respect, the Bible says, disobedient to parents. Is, is there respect and obedience? Hey, listen, when we become adults, obviously we're not called to obey our parents anymore, but we are still called to honor them. Is there honor for parents anymore? Is there honor for the generations who have gone before. Do you remember when used to, if someone who was older came into a public place and there were no seats, when, when everybody who was under that age, just to be, they would clamor around to see who could stand up and offer their seat to the person who was older than they were? Because why? Did, did that person deserve it? Some, well, they won't deserve it. Their attitude's terrible. It wasn't about did you deserve it or not. It was the honor that you gave someone just because of the fact that they were, it was an honor conferred because of their age. You remember that? You see it much anymore? 
Do you remember when, and I'm not, listen, I know not everybody's saved, and I know even among Christians you can have a discussion about what is and isn't appropriate, and you can take scriptures, I have my opinion and you have yours. There are some things that the Bible says, and by the way, if the Bible says it's right, it's right. I don't care what culture or society says. And if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care what culture or society says. I don't care if it's 2019 or 1888. It makes no difference because the Bible doesn't change. That said, there are some things that the Bible just doesn't specifically come out and say this is right. This is wrong. And so it's been established by traditions and culture. And we could have discussions about that thing. But even at that, do you remember a day when in our culture, people would at least reserve the way they spoke when they were around women and children? Certain words would not be said around women and children, at least. You have been to Walmart lately? It don't matter if there's women or children. Sometimes it's the children that are saying the things out loud and then they're accompanied by their parents. I have literally watched a conversation where a child threw out a word that if I would have thrown out that word as a 50-year-old man and my mom was living, she would have probably tried to spank me or something. But I've watched a conversation in Walmart where a child who could barely be, probably still in grade school, threw out that word, and then the parent got mad at him for throwing out that word and threw the same word right out back at him out loud at Walmart because of saying that word. And immediately you figure out, well, I know where you learned that word. You see, and I'm not going to focus on that a whole lot. I just want to make you aware the writer's correct. The Bible says when we see all of these things, we're in the last days. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's amazing that we can find time. And listen, I've got an iPhone and I use it. I have Facebook. I have Twitter. I have Instagram. I check all of those things twice a day. Other than that, I don't check those things unless I'm just sitting around in the car with nothing to do. And that's rare. Now that, So by the way, if you're ever trying to send me a Facebook message... And you get mad because I'm not responding quick enough? Please understand something. Number one, I don't have notifications turned on. That means when your Facebook message shows up, I don't know it until I actually get on Facebook. Well, why don't you change that? No plans to do so. I don't like, I've got enough things that bump or or beep and buzz wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing. So I'm not adding one more. So I only check that and I only do that twice a day. So therefore, if you sent me a Facebook message at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I've already checked it for the morning, I'm not going to see that message until probably 7 or 8 o'clock or later that night. Sorry, if if it's urgent, call me. (laughs) If it's urgent, text me. I'll check that, but not a Facebook message. But here's the thing. It's amazing to me that we have time to be on Facebook, but we don't have time to study the Word of God. We have time to to catch up on all the latest happenings and do whatever else fits us, but we say we don't have time to pray. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Notice that God doesn't say pleasure's wrong. He just says it has its place, and it's always below His place. But in the last days, this is going to be rampant. We've talked about that many times before. And because, notice verse 1, it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. That means pressure-filled, stressful times. Anybody notice the stress levels have ramped up in the world? Do you know why? Because of these other things. People have become lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Uh, people have pleasures. They, they become lovers of themselves. They become boastful. They become brutal. All of these things causes the time that we live in to be more packed with pressure and stress and fear and anxiety. But the point I want to make is this. The last little phrase... He says, from such people, turn away. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean that we're supposed to live in some type of commune over somewhere where there's nothing but Christians, because if we did that, we couldn't be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But what he is saying is the focus of our lives, the places where we go to receive strength and nurture and encouragement and wisdom, the place where we spend the majority of our time doesn't need to be amongst that type of attitude or that type of thinking. We need to have a place we can go where we can get our batteries recharged. And that is with the people of God, in the Word of God, and in the presence of God. But the main thing I want you to see is, it says, from such people turn away, that means that we are not supposed to be 
the people he has just described. Even though we're in the same culture and the same time frame. We're in the last days where people are lovers of themselves more than lovers of or pleasure more than lovers of God. But he said, we're not supposed to be that way. We're in the last days where people are brutal, but we're not supposed to be that way. We're in the last days where people are lovers of money, but he said, turn away from those people. Well, by definition, that means we are not supposed to be those people. Now, after listing a couple of unique situations that were taking place in that, that particular church at that particular time, in verse 10, he says, but you. And that's a very important phrase. But you. Now, in the last days, all these things are going to be going on, but church, you. But you. You. This isn't supposed to be how you act. This isn't supposed to be how you think. This isn't supposed to be how you live. So my point I want to make to you to begin today is that God absolutely expects us to be different than the culture. God absolutely expects us as his people to live different than the culture. We're in it, but we're not of it. And God expects us to keep that separation in our hearts and in our minds. So what I want to do today is just go backwards. How many of you would like to see the stress level in your life decrease? I would. How many of you would like to, to walk in the, the joy and the peace and the strength and the power and the life and the influence that actually God says we should and can live in? Would you like that? I believe we can do that by turning this thing around. If what contributes to these stressful, pressure-filled lives in the last days is that people have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. How do we as the people of God change? Well, the first thing is we have to recognize the living power of a living God. We have to be a people who go back to an understanding that this God that we serve is alive and active in the earth today and in our lives today. We have to go back to an understanding that this word is more than just a nice little book that they make nice little devotions from so that we can sit down for five nice little minutes with our nice little cup of coffee on a nice little morning on a nice little veranda so that we can enjoy a nice little devotion and say that we've done our nice little spiritual duty and think that God should now do everything he said he should do in our life and that's the only time we spend with him every day no we need to understand that our God is a living God that means that he exerts his influence in our life if the Bible says and we sing it all the time we celebrate it all the time that our bodies as Christians are the temples of the Holy Spirit so if we believe that I have the Holy listen to what I am saying I you have the Spirit of God in you now He's not leaving when you leave the church building today. And he didn't just come in and show up when you got here this morning. And he doesn't just show up when the praise song comes on the radio. And he doesn't just show up when you open your devotional books in the morning. The Holy Spirit resides, has made a home inside of you and I. So how do I begin to reverse this trend of fear and stress and anger and hostility and bitterness and doubt and resentment? By recognizing that I have a living God who lives in me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, everywhere I go, everything that's happening in my life, and I don't want to have just a form of godliness, I want to be a godly man. You want to be a godly woman. I want this to be real. I don't want you to just be a game I play on Sunday mornings. I don't want this to be just to be something that, that comes along in an, an event in my life. I don't want to just thank God that He is a God, if, for lack of a better term, He is a crisis God. He is a God that we can run to in the middle of a crisis, but I want it to be more than that. I want my walk with God to be authentic, real, alive, genuine. If I want to experience the life of God, then I'm going to have to let the life of God breathe through me. It means I'm going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit. So that might mean, it doesn't, no, it doesn't, it's not might, it is, it means that I don't just arbitrarily make decisions, I seek God about the decisions that I make. Lord, is this the way you want me to go? Is this what you want me to do? Lord, what should I say here and what should I do there? And 
should we do this or should we do that? Should we go right or should we go left? Lord, what is the direction? Well, if I believe, why you pray about everything? Well, if I believe God's alive, I do. If I believe God's just somebody I put in a box and bring out on Sundays, then no. And I think far too many of us have stressful lives because we have God in our God box. And we seek God on Sundays and on special occasions, but then the rest of the week and the rest of our life, we just make our own decisions, and then we ask God to do something about it when it messes up. And inevitably, if you're making your own decisions, you're going to mess up a bunch. So what? It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been in church, how long you've been in church. If you're trying to make decisions on your own, you're not that smart, and neither am I. You're not that good, and neither am I. You're not that strong, and neither am I. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if I'm going to reverse this trend of stress and anxiety and hostility, then I've got to understand the living God resides inside of me and I have to lean into and trust His guidance and His direction. And I have to make sure that my walk with God is real. I don't ha- I want to just have a form of godliness. I want to have a walk with a living God that speaks into every area of my life. If I want to reverse this trend of stress and hostility and bitterness, then I've got to love God more than I love pleasure. Because becoming a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God is part of what brought all this on. And So if I want to be different, then I've got to love God more than I love pleasure. And that's a lot harder than you think. Because whether you want to admit it or not, and I'll be the first to admit to you, we are driven by pleasure. It's just the human thing. Listen, if you come tell me today, hey, Tell you what, I'm going to grill out ribeye steaks tomorrow night. You tell me what you want, how you want it grilled. I'm going to put this special seasoning on it. We're going to have french fries. We're going to have corn on the cob off the grill. I'm going to make homemade ice cream, vanilla, Pastor. Homemade vanilla ice cream. Now, I know on Monday nights you're tired and you can't find time to do much of anything once you get home, but would you want to come over for that? You know what my answer is? Nine times out of ten, unless I just can't help it and something else is going on. Yes, what time? (laughs) You had me at the homemade ice cream. You got that right. Why? Because I love, that's a pleasure to me. I love pleasure. If I get the opportunity to go to the beach in Florida... I don't have any plans to, but if you give me the opportunity, I might have to rearrange my schedule ten times in every which way that I can imagine, but I promise it may, I may have to work harder for three weeks to be able to go there for three days than I've done. I promise you, though, I'll do it. You know why? Because that's a pleasure to me. I love seeing those palm trees. I love the sunshine. I love the ocean. There, I will jump through all kinds of hoops And drive myself crazy up to the day I go just so I can go and get there. You know why? Because there's nothing too hard when there's pleasure involved. I'm about to say something that I hope doesn't offend you, but it is true. Do you know the reason most of us can't find the way to get around to doing the things we need to do for God, whether it's spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, being at church, whatever, tithing, whatever you want to name? It's because it's not a pleasure to us. We love other stuff more. Now, please don't get mad at me because I'm in the same, we're all in the same cart. It's, it's a human thing. But here's the thing. If I love pleasure more than I love God, then you know what's going to dictate my life? Pleasure. Well, sometimes it is a pleasure to serve God. Well, then sometimes you're going to do those things. And things are going to work, but see, it's only going to be sometimes. Because you're being driven by pleasure, not by faith. But if we're instead driven by faith, my pastor used to always say, you act on the facts and the feelings will follow. But most of us act on our feelings. We're driven completely by our feelings. We follow our feelings and we wind up in a mess. The fact is Jesus is Lord. The fact is Jesus is worthy of all of our time and all of our devotion and all of our praise and all of our honor and all of our effort and all of our energy all of the time. We all know that as a fact, but how many of us live our lives that way? You know why? Because it's not the way we feel. And we don't really follow the facts. We follow our feelings and our feelings get us into a huge mess over and over again. And then we turn around and what do, we, what do you do when your feelings get you in a pit you start looking for facts real quick 
When you get in a mess, you're not interested in good feeling things. You want truth. And you start running towards facts. And then you'll get those facts. You'll get that truth down inside. And you'll get established and disciplined in that truth for a while till you think you've got that truth. And then what happens? That pleasure bug starts biting again. And we start loving pleasure more than we love God. And then what happens? We start following after our feelings. And then what comes? Stress, anxiety, hostility, doubt, fear. All those things that permeate. You see, what I'm giving you today and what the, the, the writer here is saying, you do have a choice. But you can't live one way and then expect these results. So if I'm going to get God's kind of life, then I'm going to have to love God more than I love pleasure. It doesn't say I can't love pleasure. It just says that my love for God has to exceed it. My love for God has to dictate the pleasures that I enjoy. And if the pleasures that I enjoy disagree with God's word or else become an idol in the place of God, then my love for God should set that idol down. I need to be a lover of God more than a lover of pleasure. If I want peace, then I can't be haughty. The Bible says pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Now we think of being haughty and proud as somebody who always walks with their nose up in the air, and certainly that may be the case. But you know what pride and haughtiness, how it actually just shows itself most of the time? You just always know better than everybody else, that's all. You may be as nice as you can in communicating the fact that you know better than everybody else. I mean, you may be a pleasure to talk to, but the thing is, unless it's your way, you're not doing it. You may be friendly to everybody and everybody may love you, but you just think deep down inside you're smarter than they are and you know better. And if everybody would just do things your way, then the world would be a lot better place. Matter of fact, you're even that way with God. Yeah, you are, because when you pray, what you call prayer is telling God how he ought to do it, isn't it? Now, see, I do that, so I'm guessing that, that you know, a lot of you in here are like, like that too. Sometimes God just has to stop me for a while and remind me who God is, and it's not me. We get haughty. And the thing is, a haughty spirit goes before destruction and pride before a fall. See, the more proud we are, not, not being willing to lend our ear to listen, not being willing to submit to the Word of God and the life of God and the way of God, it leads to destruction. All these things leads to that stress and that anxiety and that fear, that culture's experience. That's normal life for them. Oh, I hope you're getting this. All those things that we think of and the world thinks of as normal life, the stress, the anxiety, the hostility, the bitterness, the fighting, all of that, that's normal for them, but it should not be normal for us. Where, where do you get that, Pastor? Because Jesus said, The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. So we have an, uh, a, a better kind of life that God offers us, but we can't live the way the world's living and expect to experience the benefits of God's life. Headstrong, that goes right along with being haughty. It means I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'm not going to yield. It's going to be my way. My way is the right way. You see, if you're, if you're stubborn, that means you're also proud, whether you think you are or not. God wants to say, how, how do, what's the opposite of that? To be flexible. To be yielding. The Holy Spirit says go right and all you want to do is go left. Okay, Lord, I'll go right. Your way's better. The way that you want to work, nobody else wants to work that way with you. So instead of getting bitter about it and angry about it, just, okay. I'm going to do everything I can to work with you and make this work. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to celebrate that it didn't work. I'm just going to be there to pick you up and then do whatever I can do later. Don't be stubborn. Don't be headstrong. Don't we, if you're not going to play the game my way, I'm going to pack my stuff up and go home. I used to be that way. Hated losing so bad. I was a sore loser. 
When I was a kid, you didn't want to play any game with me because I, if I didn't win, I'd pitch the biggest fit you ever saw. I'd say everybody else was cheating, and then I wouldn't want to play, and then I'd want to take If it was my stuff, I'd want to take it and leave. And I'd set the rules, and if the rules that the game really had weren't working, I'd make my own rules so that it was slanted to me. And if it was my stuff and you didn't want to play by my rules, then you couldn't play. And if nobody wanted to play, then I'd go home and just decide that everybody else was just too afraid to play me. My mom and dad got that out of me when I was about eight years old. came at the end of a belt, but it got out of me. I learned to accept losing. I still don't like it, but I learned to accept it. I used to hate when Kentucky basketball lost, too. One day I almost kicked the screen in on our TV because Kentucky lost a ball game. Mom and dad got that out of me real quick, too. They said, if you ever do that again, you'll never watch another Kentucky basketball game until you're 18 years old. You can have your own TV to kick in. I didn't get that upset anymore. I'd just go to my room and cry or whatever else I did, but I wouldn't kick the screen in. But boy, we get stubborn. It has to be our way, and we have to always win. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, I want you to be like me? And Jesus actually came to die. Jesus actually came to humble himself. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he said, the same way you've seen me live, I want you to do also with each other. You know what that means? That means the dirty, stinking, smelling stuff on people. And come on, we all got it. We all got pride. We all get selfish. And that means... Instead of complaining about the dirty, stinking, smelling stuff on people, we get down and help wash it away with the washing of the water of the Word, with our prayer, with our love, with our encouragement. Don't be headstrong. If you want to live a life of peace, you can't do it by being stubborn. Traitors. Well, if I'm going to do the opposite of being a traitor, what, that, what does that mean? It means I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be loyal. If you've ever been in a conversation with me and you want to try to run somebody down, I know I've, I've done it many times. I hope I do it every time. If I haven't, God, I hope, convicts me of it. But if you want to talk about somebody, I hope that you're going to find me defending them. I know every once in a while somebody outside of the church will talk to me about something in the church, and, and it'll be something along the lines of, well, this or well, that, and I'll, yeah. My, here's my most famous phrase. No matter what I think, no matter what they're saying, I said, yeah, but they're the best people. Those are good people. Those are people who love God. I wouldn't want to be, you, you know what I'm feeding you. I'm feeding you your next discussion line when somebody wants to run somebody in the church down, right? You really expect me to do that? I absolutely expect you to do that, and so does God. Do you know why? Because God hates gossip. He hates it. He hates backbiting. He hates whispers. If you read in the scriptures, there's a list of things that God hates in Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, and in that list are murderers and haters of God. How many of you would not like to be lumped in a list with a murderer or a hater of God? Do you know that right in the middle of that list, he lists backbiters and those who cause factions among the brethren. In the things that God hates, in the same list as he puts a murderer and a hater of God, he puts people who backbite and cause factions among the brethren. So if I'm not going to be that person, I, that, that is committing, you're, you're, you're being a traitor. I know we don't think in those terms, but that's what you're doing. You're, you're not being loyal to your brother or your sister. I'm not saying that we gloss over things that are wrong, but can I ask you something? How is your brother or sister supposed to change if you're talking about them and they're not there? How is your brother or sister supposed to change if you're talking about something that you see that you think is wrong that they don't even know about? Can I ask you something? If you're talking about your brother or sister and they're not there, then is your goal to help your brother or sister or is your goal just to participate in a conversation with somebody else that you want to impress? So if I, what happens when we're not loyal? Then you know what? And it don't matter. It's not just church. It's family. What happens when we're not? Then stress, hostility, bitterness, everything that's in the culture begins to permeate into our lives. 
and into our churches. So if I want the joy of God, then I need to be loyal to God first, and I need to be loyal to the brothers and sisters that God's placed with me. I need to be loyal in the relationships that God's given me. Don't be a traitor. Be loyal. If I want to see the peace of God, then instead of being a despiser of what's good, that means I have to love what's good. The Bible says to fear the Lord means we hate evil. That means we love what's good. If it's good, that needs to be what I gravitate towards. And when it's talking about goodness, it's talking about a moral goodness. I need to love what's good. I, I, you know, it, it amazes me, and I, I'm just as prone to do it as the other, but it amazes me how quick we're drawn to bad news and how little good news expresses or, or encourages us. If I put out, I've said this before, but I, one church actually did an experiment with this one day, and it, was, it amazed the people. They, they did like a camera thing so people could see it. They said on the back table there are two different lists. In one list we've had somebody go through and pick up all of the gossip that they could pick up on people in the church and we printed it all out in form. Everything we've heard this week is out there. On the other paper we had somebody else going around picking out every good thing that anybody did this week and all the good news that we could find on people and we've listed them both. Now they really didn't do that. It was just an experiment. And they put them both out on the paper and then they videotaped the list. And you know what? The stack that had the gossip and the bad news was gone just like that and the stack with the good news was only halfway gone by the time that the service was over and everybody left and the Bible says we're supposed to love the things that are good gravitate towards the things that are good because in the last days the Bible says people will despise the things that are good has it ever just blown your mind that people get so angry because you're a Christian anymore I mean, it's not just like, you know, well, you're a Christian. I don't agree with you, but to each his own. You know, that used to be the way people would think. It's not that way anymore. I mean, for the most part in the media especially, it's like people despise you because you're a Christian and you believe what you believe. You know, for years, Christians have been against abortion. For years, for decades, because we felt like it was the taking of an innocent life. And yes, people would debate it on the political lines and they would disagree on things. But now, it's insane how angry people get. I I sometimes want to just get on and say to everybody, hey, I still believe everything I ever believed. I hope you still love me because I still love you. But it's amazing now. There's People talk about tolerance all the time, and that tolerance works as long as you agree with them. <laughs> when you don't agree with them anymore, nobody wants to tolerate you. Because people have come to a point where they despise what is good. If we're going to experience the life of God, we need to turn that around, and we need to love what is good and despise what is evil wouldn't it be a great thing if the next time you sit down to watch something on tv and something that was really evil came up something in your spirit you listen because i believe it does if you're a child of god we just have learned to push it down and the holy spirit just kind of that ain't good if we said you know what i don't like that why do you not like that because the holy spirit don't like that wouldn't it be great if we listened to the holy spirit and if we loved the things that were good and hated the things i bet we would have less stress in our life I bet we'd have less fear. I bet we'd have less division. I bet we'd have less hostility. If in the world people are brutal, that means we need to be gentle and kind. Not weak, but gentle and kind. Some of the strongest men I've ever met in my life are some of the gentlest and kindest men, kindest men I've ever met in my life. You know, the definition of the word meekness is strength under control. And I heard somebody say the greatest illustration of it would be to think of the greatest bodybuilder, the man that was the greatest bodybuilder you knew that was just ripping with muscles everywhere, holding the tiniest baby you've ever seen. Maybe a premature baby or something like that that's just tiny. And you know that with just one move of his, of his hand the wrong way, he could cause damage and pain. But in all of his strength, he's holding and cradling that tiny, gentle, vulnerable child. That's the definition of meekness. It's not weakness. It's strength controlled by the Spirit of God, by love. If we want to see what God wants in our life, then instead of being brutal, we need to be kind. We need to be gentle. 
well, that, are you trying to tell me that I have to back away from my convictions? No, 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 no. I'm not telling you that at all. You mean i got to just carte blanche, say it's okay to, to do this? No, 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 not at all. Do you remember what I just said? Hey, I'm still here and I still believe everything I ever believed and I still love you. See, I still believe homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin today, it's going to be a sin tomorrow. Okay? Why? Because the Bible tells me it is. That's why. And the Bible doesn't change. Well, what if they say it's all legal and they're going to they're make anybody who says it's, it's, it's not right, they're going to make you, make you an outlaw. Then I guess I'll be an outlaw. Because I'm still going to speak the Word of God. That said, I will never treat anybody with disrespect and a lack of kindness. Well, yeah, but they're living in sin. Well, so is an adulterer. Well, they're living in sin. Well, so is a drunkard. Well, they're living in sin. Are you ready? 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 So is a gossiper. Well, they're living in sin. Well, so is somebody who refuses to forgive. Well, they're living in sin. Well, so is somebody who has doubt and unbelief. Well, they're living in sin. Well, so is somebody who's refusing to obey God. The Bible says anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it to him, it is a what? Hey, I didn't write that. God did. So I'm not about to go yell at you because you're not obeying God in some area of your life. So I'm not going to yell in somebody else's face because they're living in sin. I'll love them. Now, if they want me to get up in the pulpit and say it's okay what they're doing, then no. And if they want me to tell them that it's okay what they're doing, then no, never. Because you see, if I love them, I'm not going to lie to them. If I, if I went to a doctor and, and I had him check something out and there was something really wrong with me, but he looked at me and said, man, I feel sorry for you. I don't want to tell you the bad news. Everything's fine. I'd get out of that doctor's office and say, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And about six weeks later, I'd be saying, what kind of doctor is that? I'll never go back to him again. He didn't care. He just wanted my money. What do you think people do when they come to churches and they give their offering and we never tell them the truth? Oh, but it was a nice atmosphere. Bless God, the music was so good. And it was so comfortable in there and the atmosphere was so nice. That was such an encouraging message. I just felt so good about myself when I left. That was just so wonderful. Well, that's good. I'm glad you felt good about yourself. I'm glad you liked the music. I'm glad the atmosphere was great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if you've got problems in your life and I didn't tell you the truth, then I'm like that doctor that didn't tell you you were dying. You don't ever need to come back. Now, I'm not saying I've got to get up and yell and scream at you every Sunday to tell you the truth. See, I think I can tell you the truth without yelling and screaming. Because I think I just did. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody to tell me, I just wish you'd go back to preaching, Pastor. I always want to look at them and say, What do you think I've been doing? I know what they mean. They mean they want me to do this. Bless God. See, I can do it one of two ways. I can tell you, homosexuality is a sin, but Jesus loves you, and so do I. And if you'll allow him to, the Holy Spirit can touch your heart and absolutely change your life. Or I can say, homosexuality is a sin. And if you don't stop, you're going to hell. And you're going to hell in a handbasket. Bless God. <laughs> Sounds like you're almost happy that they're going. If hell's such a great place, maybe you want to go join them. You see, some of us act like sometimes we're almost happy that some people are going to hell. Matter of fact, if you got to the root of some of our hearts, we'd just like for some of our politicians just to get on the bus and go. We'd just like for some of our actors and actresses to get on the bus tomorrow and head on down. We'd just like for some of the musicians that we don't like to go on tomorrow. We'd like for some of our neighbors. Hey, the bus is waiting. Head on. Some of you like for some of your family members of your reunions to go on. Get done with it. Yeah, hell's a terrible place, folks. It's eternity, separated from God, filled with torment. 
We're called to love people. So if we're going to have peace and joy in life and be the influence God's called us to be, we have to love what is good. We've got to be kind. We've got to be gentle. If, if the world is without self-control, then we need to have some. We need to have self-control. Are you ready to pull your toes in again? Are you ready? That even includes with your phones. That includes in your conversations. That includes what you watch on television, at the movies. That includes the music that you listen to. That includes your temper. Self-control. Well, I, I can't get self-control, Pastor. You don't understand. My, my family's always had a bad temper. Everybody in my family has a bad temper. If you think I got a bad temper, you ought to seem... And you list back. But you know what? You know what self-control is biblically? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you do by your willpower. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that means the more I lean into the Holy Spirit, the more I walk in the Holy Spirit, the more I trust the Holy Spirit, the more I'm spending time in the Word of God, the presence of God, saturating my heart and mind with what God wants and what God does, the more the fruit of the Spirit will grow. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. And some of you might say, well, bless God, I've got that fruit, peace, and joy pretty well. I just don't have self-control. I don't think I'll have it. No, you don't. Because it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, plural. It says the fruit of the Spirit, singular. So that means when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, it's not just one of those that you like to pick and choose. It's all of them that grow with one another. I'm going to speed this up so I can get through this real quick. Some of you are going to say amen. I knew somebody would. <laughs> if the world is slander, filled with slander, and it certainly is, speaking evil things of one another, then we need to be the opposite of that. So every time you catch yourself wanting to say something, but it's true, I don't, didn't, that has nothing to do with it. Every time you catch yourself wanting to say something slanderous, you need to pull back. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be that. Well, I need to talk to somebody about it. I know you do. So I'm going to tell you exactly who to talk to. Hit your prayer closet, hit your knees, and talk to God about it. He can do a whole lot more good than Facebook. Or the person you're sitting beside. Don't be a slanderer. Don't be unforgiving. Notice that that's the trait of the world. We're supposed to be different. That means we have to forgive. You don't know what they did to me. That's not part of the equation. You don't know what they said. It has nothing to do with it. You don't know how they hurt me. doesn't matter. Forgive. I'm not going to call what they did right. That has nothing to do with it. I didn't say that. You don't have to call what they did right. Wrong is wrong, period, end of story. To forgive somebody does not mean that you're saying they were right. To forgive somebody simply means that you refuse to be their judge. That you're not strong enough or smart enough or wise enough to be their judge. Therefore, you're going to let God be their judge, and you're going to do the same thing to them that Jesus did for you. You're going to forgive them even if they don't deserve it. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in their sphere again so that you can be hurt again. If they haven't changed, then they're going to still hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you put yourself back where you can be hurt again. Forgiveness means you choose to stop being the judge and you release the same love and compassion towards them in Jesus' name that God has released towards you in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the last days people will be unforgiving. That means they hold these grudges in their minds for days and weeks and months and years. And over and over, 24-7, they're thinking about how they hate the way they're being treated and how they hate the way life is, how they hate their work and how they hate this. Does it surprise you that after years of that, somebody comes in with a gun into a place that they hate with people they've held grudges and bitterness against for years and starts just firing that gun randomly? He didn't just wake up the other day and decide, hey, I think I'm going to do this. I guarantee you he has been rehearsing that in his mind and in his heart. And I guarantee you if you went back far enough, you would find bitterness, you would find resentment, you would find hatred, and you would find unforgiveness. 
And you're saying, well, pastor, are you saying that if I hold unforgiveness, I'm going to one day shoot some plate? No, I'm not saying that because you're already slicing and dicing people somehow. You're already killing their reputations. You're already taking their peace from them because you're already doing it with your words. Well, words don't hurt anybody. Oh, really? How many of you ever in here have been hurt by words? Raise your hand. Yeah, words hurt pretty bad. Words can do some serious damage. So if we're the people of God, we have to be forgiving. We can't be unloving. We have to be loving. That seems like Christianity 101, doesn't it? Loving. God so loved the world. His faith works by love. Jesus said by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because you build, build churches and you play great music and you have these great communicators and you, and you do all this and that. No, no, no. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. So it's Christianity 101. And yes, one of the hardest things we find to do, to really love people. And you know, loving people is a whole lot more than saying, hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. We can say that and not mean a thing. Matter of fact, you can say you love somebody and then go out and talk about them over lunch today. Love is proven in action. Somebody said one day, love is a verb. It's something you do towards people's life. Can't be unloving. We have to be a loving people. Close it out as we finish up this verse here. It says, those in the world are unthankful and unholy. No gratitude. How many of you get mad at God when he don't do what you want to do, but don't give him gratitude when he does do things that you didn't even ask for? You know, every day you're blessed. I was listening to a song last night called God's Been Doubly Good to You. Hadn't heard it in years and years and years. And boy, it's so true. God's been doubly good to us. How many things every day we get up, we're just blessed. Matter of fact, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. The only time we really notice anything is when something doesn't go right. Because most of the time, everything's going fairly well. I didn't say they're perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. This isn't heaven. But most of the time, things go fairly well. We only notice it when they don't go right. But many times, we're not grateful. We're not thankful. How many times have you just gone to pray and say, God, I don't want to ask for anything today. I just want to thank you for everything you've done. And just start thanking him for one thing after another. I'm not saying that's how you have to pray every time. I know sometimes you've got to ask God for things. But wouldn't it be nice ever once and again? If you're a parent, wouldn't it be nice ever once in a while if your kids would show up and say, I don't want to ask you for anything. I don't want anything. I just want to tell you, I thank you for all you've done. I love you. You know what you'd say if they did that? You'd say, what do you want? Because it's not something that you're used to. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were grateful? thankful to God for all that he's done. When I said thank these nursery workers and kids church workers, I mean that. Man, if you've got kids in kids church or nursery, it'd be awesome. I bet the only time sometimes they ever hear from us is when they, something's wrong. Tell them thank you. Boy, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, we had, I meant to say this earlier, we had 11 people in and out yesterday working on this hill. So appreciate everybody who was, I know some of you couldn't, but I so appreciate everybody who was able to show up and work out in the sun or work inside here and sweat and work and do and paint and clean. And Man, say thank you. A lot of things get done that you never see. Say thank you. Say thank you to your parents. I was telling my son just the other day, we were at graduation, and he was talking about a certain teacher who was uh, talking on the stage and what that teacher had meant to him when he was in high school. I said, you need to go back and you need to make sure you tell her, thank you. Because I guarantee you they hear complaints way more than they hear gratitude. Go back and tell her what she meant to you. Go back and tell her how you appreciated her patience. Go back and tell her, thank you. And maybe apologize for any way that you tried her patience. Ungrateful, unholy, not set apart. Do you know we're called to be set apart, to be different? How many times do we not live that way? We just feel like we can do whatever we want, live however we want, be just like everybody else in the world. Matter of fact, we want to we prove that we're just like everybody else in the world because we want to be able to connect with everybody else in the world. Can I ask you something? If you are having, let's just use this, if you are mired so deep in financial debt that you don't know what to do and which end is up, do you want to go to somebody who is in as much debt as you are and worse, or do you want to go to somebody whose finances are in good shape and ask for advice? 
I don't know about you, but if I'm looking to get better financially, I'm going to find somebody who's in better shape than I am to ask advice. So if we want the world to want to see Jesus, we need, if, if they're bound up with fear and anxiety, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in the same world they did and we didn't have the fear and anxiety? But it's hard. Yes, it is. But it's possible. It says that the people in these last days are disobedient to parents. What does that mean? It means we've got to honor our parents. If you're still under age at home, you've got to be obedient with joy to your parents. It says they're blasphemers. That means we need to speak, instead of speaking wrong things towards God, we need to speak the right things about God. That means you've got to know the right things about God. They're proud. There that is again. Boasters. Those two go together. See how much God hates pride? About four times we've had words in this list connected to pride. So we've got to stay humble. Lovers of money. Well, that means if I'm going to be different, I can't be a lover of money. That doesn't mean I can't use money. I just can't let money use me. I can't let every decision I make be directed by money. My decisions need to be directed by the will of God. I don't want to be a lover of money. I want to be a lover of God. And finally he said this, lovers of themselves. Anybody taking a selfie lately on your phone? We love those selfies. Actually, I don't like selfies. Tammy wanted to take a few selfies of us on vacation. We were off by ourselves. Usually the kids take pictures of us. They do a really good job, you know. And Tammy said, well, we need to take some pictures from the kids. Get in here, Lynn. And she'd hold it out. and Every one of them, I'd always look dumb. I'd say, don't post that picture. I look dumb. I just never could when you I, I, when somebody's telling me they're taking a picture, I can kind of get in the right spot and look halfway decent. But when, when you're trying to take a selfie, you know, and you're trying to do a picture, you're always either my head was halfway out of the frame or I was smiling too big or I wasn't smiling at all. or uh, It just didn't. And I just looked dumb. Don't post it. Hang on. Do you know every time that we try to shine a light on ourselves instead of God, you don't realize it. You kind of come across looking kind of dumb because you can't compete with him. Thankfully, you don't have to. You know what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit shines a light on Jesus, not us. So if we're following the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who are we going to be shining a light on? Who are we going to be trying to magnify? Who are we going to be trying to point people to? It's not us. It's Jesus. You know, it blows me away, and I love it when I get to see you every Sunday and, or, or, or every other Sunday or whenever we do get to see It blesses my heart. I love you. It means a lot to me. It, it still boggles my mind from the first time I preach to the last time that people come back to hear it again. So it just it, it blows my mind, and I'm always grateful. I love just being a part of the family of God. I love it when we worship together. You know, for me, when we're, when we're singing and stuff, it's not so much about the music or the song. I, what I love is those moments when you just kind of your eyes are closed and the presence of God just moves in the room. And you know, it's not just singing or music. It's Jesus is there. And I can feel it's not just us on the stage, but it's you out there. And we're all in this unbelievably wonderful, beautiful moment together in the presence of God. I can tell you from... From the time I started till now, there's nothing to me that compares to that. I love those beautiful moments, and I love the fact that you allow me to share those moments with you week after week after week. But I'm going to tell you something. I can't do it for you. If you're looking for me to have the answers, you're in serious trouble. If you're looking for me to get up here with some type of fire cracker word every week that's just going to be brand new and revel good grief guys i've been here for 30 years almost i don't know a whole lot of passages i haven't preached from yet it is, wasn't too long ago somebody came up and told, that was a really good sermon i've got down notes in my bible where you preached that same sermon back so many years ago and I don't doubt that they're right. I just didn't know it. I had no idea. I wasn't doing it. See, I don't keep my notes. I have no idea I'm doing it. But it's inevitable it's going to happen. So if you're looking for that, you know, that fresh revelation, that fireball, like the great pitcher that's going to wind them up and pitch a shutout every time, guys, I'm just going to save you the time. It's not happening here. I don't really think it happens anywhere, really. 
See, if we're showing up for anything other than God, we're inevitably going to be disappointed at some point in time. But you know what? If I just shine a light on Him, if I can just keep pointing you towards Him, if I can just keep pointing you to His love and His Spirit and His Word, if I can just keep shining a light on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart, if you can do that in your world and in your workplace and in your family and in your marketplace and in your neighborhood, it's not about you and it's not about me. I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's it. That's it. And you know what? I revel in that. I'm so grateful. I've looked in the mirror and I've seen who I can be without Jesus and it's not pretty at all. And I'm so grateful for the love of Jesus. So if we want to not experience what the world is experiencing, we want to be set apart and different. Instead of being lovers of ourselves, we need to be lovers of God. Instead of always pointing to ourselves, instead of being selfish, we need to be worshipers. You know, the opposite of selfishness is actually worship. It's bowing in awe and adoration of the only one who is worthy. If we will live that way, the opposite of what's happening in the world and in the spirit of the age, you will experience a very different outcome. Where the world is bowed down under the weight of anxiety and depression and oppression and fear, turmoil, bitterness, and unforgiveness and resentment and hostility and division. We can be a people who walk in the same world and face the same problems, but do it with peace, joy, strength, Purpose, compassion, and power. If you do that long enough, you're going to have some people around you that are going to start watching because people are watching your lives, guys. And you're going to eventually have somebody around you that's just being swallowed up by despair. And they're going to say, you know what? You've got to tell me how you do this. Because you've got the same problems we do, but there's something different. And at that point, you don't become about yourself. You say, I can easily tell you how I do it because I don't do it. But I know somebody who does, and I love him more than life. Let me tell you how to know him. And if you already know him, let me tell you how to really allow his life to flow through you. I woke you up good because we're about to pray. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus today, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we felt in the room all morning. We're grateful for the Word of God, and even though we live in perilous times, we don't have to be in despair. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be or feel alone. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be stressed out. And we certainly don't have to be afraid. Lord, we just thank you that you've provided a better way for us. But Lord, we will never be what you've called us to be, experience the life that you've given us and provided for us, or go where you've called us to go by trying to do it the way the world is doing it. We have to make a purposeful intention of living life your way, of thinking your way, of allowing the Holy Spirit to to guide and direct the decisions that we make and the way that we live. And Father, we just yield to that today. I believe you've already moved in these altars. You've already touched people in, in their physical body. You've already touched people mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And we are so grateful for that. We say thank you so much. But Lord, I believe that right now you're wanting to touch people in the areas of their attitudes, of our thought processes, of the way we just allow ourselves to think and speak. Lord, just the default mode that we go to without thinking the way we just operate. Father God, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that we can change that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by renewing our minds in the Word of God. Lord, you said don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I just thank you that we will allow you to absolutely recreate, to, to transform, our minds, our thoughts, 
our attitudes, our ways of responding to the world around us. Father God, for those who are just locked in a prison of anxiety and fear and anger and hostility and unforgiveness, Father God, I thank you there's hope for them today. Lord, for those who are constantly caught up in division and strife, they don't want to be, they'll ask you to forgive them for it, and then they walk right back into it, and before they know it, they've already done it, and there they are. God, you're not angry at them, you love them. And Father God, I've been there myself, I know what that's like, but God, you can transform us. We're never without your help, because we're never without your word, and we're never without your spirit. So, Father, I just thank you, God, for hope arising in people's hearts. That we don't have to walk the same path and live the same way that the world around us is living. Lord, you call us deeper. You call us higher. So that we can actually be a light set on a hill, shining into the darkness, calling people home. Lord, I pray that that would be our hearts and our desire in Jesus' name. 